So today we'll be interviewing Serena Bird. She's the author of Joyful Frugalista and in her book she talks about how to grow your cash, be savvy with your money and live abundantly. All things that speak to me. So Christina, what about you? Do you find yourself single in your 50s? How are you feeling about your money, your, you know, future plans and yeah have you gone and seen a financial planner what's what's happening yeah good question I I can tell you honestly that when my ex and I split I was super fearful about my financial future because I um, was shocked to realize I'm kind of a stereotype you know I I felt like a 1950s housewife I had really let him deal with the finances to the point where I didn't didn't even know who our utilities providers were and and I wasn't on many of the bills so it it was a very high learning curve for me and um, yeah I I definitely I, I saw some financial planners I bought the wealthy barber and I felt super vulnerable when it came to our my superannuation because I had taken the primary caring role of our three sons so it's something that uh, even though I'm a professional, I was surprised to realize I was in that situation and I'd let, you know, myself be in that situation. So I've, I've taken baby steps in terms of learning more about my finances and, and I do know more now and I'm much more confident about uh, the future, but it is definitely something that I was super worried about. I didn't, I didn't want to be one of those women who were, you know, in her seventies with the RSI bandages, waitressing and some dive to, to supplement my pension, if you know what I mean. What about you, Kay? Well, in our relationship, I, you know, I guess played an active part, keeping an eye on the finances. So in terms of utilities, home insurance and things like that. So my situation was a bit different, but nevertheless, in terms of um, splitting up the matrimonial home and, you know, the property, I did feel vulnerable because he could have sought half of my super and, you know, I was very conscious of the fact, you know, I don't want to be working for another 30 years to sort of recover what I had in my super. So super plays an important part and maybe something we should come back to in one of our future podcasts. And I agree. And I think that that's the one thing, like we all know the stats, right? When you, when you look at poverty, who ends up in poverty after divorce? It's normally not the men. It's, it's the women, even yeah. professional women, right? And I thought, I don't want to be in a situation where I can't, you know, go out and have a coffee because I'm worried about that extra $2.50. Yeah. Like $4 now, right? But you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. in my case, it's quite interesting because, you know, we didn't have children. He had less super you know, than me. Well, and didn't, didn't he, wasn't he interested in trying to get you to start to, to give give him some of your super that's right those were the threats in the legal letters anyway so yeah so moving forward I think you know how, how does one protect one's super because you know once you're in your 50s you're looking at ideally you don't want to work for another you know 25 30 years you want to be able to slow down and so yeah keeping and I think yeah yeah, I agree. And, and one of the things that, um, unfortunately, it all comes down to, I mean, it's very sad to say, because there's much more to a marriage or long term relationship than money. Yeah. But in the end, it really does come down to money. Uh, and so that's where you uh, definitely have to, uh, for me, seek financial advice. Different from a lawyer's advice, seek both. But my finance guys were super invaluable 
the information they gave me. Very different from a lawyer, so that's important, I think. Okay, all right, let's go and have a chat to Serena and see what else she can add to the discussion. Looking forward to it. Hi, I'm Christina. Hi, Serena, I'm Kishwa, and welcome to our podcast, Swipe Right at 50. So we're very excited to have Serena Bird as our guest today. Serena Bird lives and works in Canberra and is the author of The Joyful Frugalista and is also the founder of The Joyful Business Club. Now, Serena, um, not that you're overachieving or anything, but before you've even hit the 50 <laughs> milestone, yeah. Yeah, you've reset your life, you have a new career, a new relationship, and you've taken charge of designing your future life and also helping others you know, by sharing your wisdom. So you are a perfect guest for our podcast, Super Right at 50. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. I feel really honoured. Now, um, as a starting point, we thought we'd start with your book. Now, what was going on in your life to compel you to write The Joyful Frugalista? Well, thank you. I've been blogging for a few years before I wrote that book. And it, the blog that I was writing on wasn't my first blog. Um, and originally, I was blogging about food and culture when I lived in Taiwan. And then I sort of started a second blog that was originally kind of about this thing of, you know, being a, a professional woman during the week. I wasn't the main care of my kids. And when I was the care of my kids, I was struggling with that a little bit. And so that's what I was kind of writing about. And then in August of 2014, which as we record, I'm heading up to, uh, what is that, a six years ago, seven years ago now. Yeah. Um, then suddenly um, I left my marriage. It had been on the cards for a while. There were a lot of very concerning things that had happened, but I left particularly because I took out a domestic violence order and there was real grounds to do that. I probably arguably could have done that several years prior to making that decision. So I had always been what my family liked to term a bit on the frugal spectrum and I knew I was good with money, but, yeah, it was a very scary time. And as I went through that, I stopped writing about the sorts of things that I was writing about previously. And over time, I started writing about things like budget food meals because those were the sorts of things that I was doing to get myself through that very difficult time. And then over time, I sort of sort of sat back a bit and sort of realised that these sorts of skills, these kind of money coping skills were really important for when people are going through shocks. So my, I guess, speciality hasn't been how to be a millionaire in a week. It's actually been more about financial resilience. And, and tell us about the title, The Joyful Fugalista. I love it. I wish I'd thought of it myself. So tell us a bit about the genesis of that um, term. Look, I wish I could say that I'd come up with it myself, but it was actually an idea by Murdoch Books, my publishers. And they asked, me would I mind would I really mind if I could please rebrand and I was just overjoyed I thought it was a great title I loved it I've always loved it um, and I'm now a little bit um, protective of it I, I don't want to change it in any way mm -hmm. but what I like about it is that for so long in our modern lifestyle anything to do with saving money has been seen as a really off topic like you don't want to be the frugal one. Um, and because of that, we sort of overdo it in all aspects of our life. You know, we spend too much on clothes so we don't look poor. We spend too much on entertaining so we don't look like we're scroogey. And I really wanted to bring it back to celebrating the virtues of um, 
you know, living in a sustainable way, being really appreciative of what we have mm. um, and making choices that we're going to have some really profound long-term impacts on finances. Oh, great. When you think about it, what are the key things women need to consider in, in helping grow their cash? Mm, there's a lot there. So I think cash in itself, I'm going to pick on this word. I think when we're talking about growth, I think what we need to be talking about is investments rather than cash, because mm. having most of your money in cash itself is a missed opportunity. But my book is all actually about uh, growing cash. It is actually about finding money. And on that, I would say that it's not what you earn, it's what you save. Now, that's not an original idea that's been around for a while. Paul Clitheroe from um, Money Magazine has frequently said that in his work and, and Effie Zahos frequently quotes him in saying that. But it is so true. It's not actually what you earn it's what you save. And one of the really sad things is the amount of high net worth worth, or high salary um, people, particularly women, who are bringing in a lot of income, but when you look at their overall net worth or position, they're not wealthy, and that's because it's money in, money out. Wow, yeah. And what sort of, you know, got you thinking about how to grow your cash? Because this is one of the key foundations to your book and your philosophy, The Joyful Fugalista. So was it your own personal experience that you alluded to? Look, I've been doing that for a long time and um, I think it's a bit of an obsession. It's probably been an obsession since I was a teenager, to be honest. Um, I first read one of Neil Whitaker's books. I think it was Making Money... Uh, making money simple or something like that um apologies i can't remember the exact title uh, but it really had a profound effect on me because i suddenly got this concept of compound interest i suddenly got this concept of time in market and realized that the earlier you start investing um the better now i wish i had perhaps at my teenage years you know, be more consistent, but of course life gets in the way. I did things like, you know, saving and going to China for a year and then coming back poor. Then went to Taiwan again, came back poor. I got married, got divorced, had kids, had, you know, did a lot of things um, that perhaps disrupted that, you know, one way kind of uh, uh, trajectory. But, you know, I'm happy about that. I'm happy, you know, I've, I don't have any regrets about the choices that I've made, but certainly I have been very conscious of the importance of how all the little things add up for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing, you know, because we're focusing on empowering women who are approaching or in the 50s, do you think as you approach 50s yourself, are you noticing a change about how you think about cash and investment? Um, look, I am, but then I'm a little bit unusual because I'm now close to um, FIRE, financial independence. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't identify for many years as being part of the the fire financial independence retire early movement mainly because I was too old like I didn't think that I was part of that movement but I now know there is a whole late starter movement and you know retiring at 55 is still very early um, considering that a lot of people are not going to be able to retire until you know maybe they're 70 like even if they're eligible for the pension at 67 and you know the pension age keeps going up you know they may not be able to live a good lifestyle and may need to be you know working um, a long time so I'm a little bit unusual but what I have found that sort of when I started hitting um, probably about you know the mid 40s mark I suddenly kind of looking around started looking around and going is this what I want to be doing the rest of my life 
Like I like my public service career, but is this it? Like what about all those crazy business ideas that I've had? What about all those other things I want to achieve? Am I living my life according to my values? Am I really doing with my time what I want to? Because suddenly I'm looking around and thinking, well, actually I'm not as young (laughs) as I once was. Uh Um, So if I'm going to make a change, I I have to do it now. And so in your book you talk about being savvy with your money. So what are some of the key soft concepts behind that notion of becoming more savvy with with your money that you've explored in your book? Well, there's there's a lot, obviously, it's a whole book worth. But I think central to this is this concept that every dollar counts. Like we have a tendency to think, you know, for instance, if we're negotiating at buying a house, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll just put in 10,000 more, it doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Or, oh, look, I'll just... um, doesn't matter if I spend money you know buying lunch every day because you know it doesn't matter in the scheme of things I'm earning so much in my career or you know when I lived overseas in Taiwan people would say oh it's so cheap here everything's so cheap so I don't need to really save but I think when you bring it back to this concept that every dollar does does count like every dollar is actually significant it really does change your mindset now this is not to become paranoid and go oh my gosh I've lost a dollar or I'm spending a dollar but I think just being respectful um, and I think the more you respect the money your money the more it grows and respects you back whereas if you're like oh look I've got cash to splash I don't care whatever 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 it's it's a very different thing so there's a number of things I talk about in my book in terms of um, how to save money. And in my, my course, my six weeks course, um, in the first week, I look specifically about fixing the money leaks. And I always start with food. Now, you might wonder, well, what's the big deal with food? Well, we know that food waste is a huge problem. On average, one in five bags of groceries are thrown out. Um, the lovely Ronnie Khan from Oz Harvest, uh, she guesstimates that about $3,500 worth of groceries are thrown away um, every year by the average family. So if you just get a handle on reducing your food waste, you know, you've got several thousands of dollars right there. Is there any specific advice you would give to women in their 50s? In the work you've been doing, the courses, you know, you've been running, is there any key message about being savvy in your 50s as a woman? Uh, in moving forward and designing the life you want to lead? Yeah, look, there's a lot of things. And, um, you know, it's kind of strange because I'm finding that a lot of women I know my age and also in their 50s, and I know I'm in that sort of same Generation X bracket, we're often very good um, with our generosity to other people. We're often very good professionally with ourselves, but for some reason we're often really scared to invest. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I think it's partly because for so long and when we've talked about finance, it's been through, it's been presented in a very male lens. It's what they call the Bloomberg effect. It's, you know, bright flashing lights about, you know, buy loss, you know, lots of acronyms. And it it actually seems really scary. And I think I can speak for myself, you know, going through school, I was educated to be this successful career woman, you know, looking fabulous in a suit and having fabulous shoes and fabulous big hair. But I was not really educated to think about saving, investing for my own future. And so that's, I guess, something I'd say in their 50s, 
is it's okay to admit if you find investing a little bit daunting um, because it has been designed there for a long way not to make it approachable for women, but there's a lot more resources out there to make it more accessible. It's very easy to do now. You don't need to have, you know, ring up a stockbroker, find a stockbroker in the yellow pages. I mean, the yellow pages, I think they do technically exist, but not many people use them. It's so easy to get started investing now and it is not too late. Yeah. So is there any advice you'd give to women in their 50s who have no investment? Mm. Yeah, look, a, a good question. And I think the, the real place to start is with um, financial literacy. Start reading, like buy some key resources, even if it's just the paper, like the Daily Telegraph, for instance, and I'm not, you know, I'm singling them out in particular, but, you know, they're like a, you know, a publication you wouldn't necessarily think of as being, you know, a financial hub, but they have a really good money saver HQ um, session that goes out, I think, once a week, as do most newspapers. And um, particularly, I'm gathering a lot of your demographic are probably professional women who read um, publications like The Australian or Sydney Morning Herald or The Thin Review. There's some really good resources in there about, you know, um, basic guides to investing um, and so forth. So get hold of those and just start being aware of that. Like it seems really scary at first because you're like, oh, I don't understand this. This is all this jargon. But, you know, Google it. Find out what, find out what these words mean and start to have conversations with other women too because we need to be talking together about, uh, you know, how to get, you know, started and how to get investing. And a really good place often is to look at our superannuation because particularly if we're at an age where we perhaps don't have as many uh, dependents or obligations, if we're earning a good wage, um, you know, the, the, the tax benefits of super are huge. So really I think that's a great place to start looking at our super. Found any sort of share clubs or online training that is targeted at women and who are <laughs> to the investment or is there a marketplace for us to develop that training? <laughs> well, I, I do run a six-week course that does include an introduction to so um, if I may, I already do that. Um, Lazy Philippic from the Money School, she also has a really good um, online course and she's got a book um, that accompanies that and there's a few other things um, that work and a few um, other resources as well. Thanks, Serena. Uh, in, your, in your book, you talk about the word abundance. You use that term and, and my question is, what does abundance mean to you? Yeah, no, thank you. This is a great question. And perhaps I might start with saying what abundance doesn't mean to me. And that is lots of big numbers in a bank account and nothing else. Like you could be abundant in the sense that you have a lot of money, but if you're not really using it in a meaningful sense to live your life, it doesn't matter much and what I mean by that is abundance to me is also about having good relationships with people around me being active in my community being generous to you know causes and things that are important to me um, enjoying good health and well-being and doing the things that I really want to do like using that money in a really positive way to do those to be aligned with my values and do those types of things nice so how do you think women can cultivate and aim toward that that abundant sort of lifestyle oh that's a great question I think sometimes the problem with um, women and abundance is we're too scared to receive we're so good at giving so good at giving to other people 
mm-hmm. but it's okay to receive. I mean, when you talk about the law of attract- attraction, um, you know, in the secret, there's three parts to that. The first is asking, the second is receiving, and the third is showing gratitude. And I would actually argue that gratitude is actually the, the first as well, because when you have that attitude of gratitude, when you have that natural joy um you actually do then um attract a lot more things you're more likely to ask for more you're more likely to receive more so it's kind of like a circular thing but in the middle is this receiving and i think this is where a lot of women fall down we're very good at asking for things oh i'd like a bigger house oh i'd like a bigger car oh i'd like better clothes but as soon as they materialize you go oh no i don't want to spend money on myself You'd probably be buy it for your kids or you'd buy it for your partner. If you have a partner, you'd buy it for your sister. You don't necessarily buy it for yourself. It's true. The other thought I had was in terms of the word frugal, we often have very negative connotations of, of that word. So I, I like that you call yourself the joyful frugalista. So, so tell me, how can you be frugal? How can frugal be joyful? Look, great question. And I would say too at the outset too that um, frugal is changing. Like our reaction to frugal is changing. COVID was part of that. The bushfires were part of that. Certainly there's a lot more people now whose whole, um, you know, financial situation has been turned on its head. And many of them have been able to, for better, one of a better word, pivot and reorient. Um, and in some cases it's meant that, you know, they've, they've actually, you know, ended up embracing more abundance than previously for some obviously it's still very 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 deep and uh, dark and and difficult and you know if they haven't found their way through that it's not their fault it is just a very disruptive time but I would say though that it has really changed and I was really surprised last year to read something I think in a Canadian newspaper saying that you know frugal is the new new like it's this new cool hip word and whereas frugal was one of these things that you know I guess in my mother's generation was a word they despised because it, you know, it meant it's like budget, you know, scroogey. It, it meant deprivation. They saw their mothers, you know, give up jobs in the fifties to be this kind of perfect housewife, and you know that might have worked fine for some, but you know, in some cases, you know, not having um, financial means meant that some of these women were in really difficult, dark places. My own family history, my um, late grandfather unfortunately had a drinking problem and was violent and so my late nana you know she couldn't leave with three kids she couldn't leave and so you know my mother's generation grew up with that and went hell no I don't want to be frugal I want my own money I want to be doing stuff Um, and so you know for a long time that word was really despised but then I think coming now what's happening is a situation where we have a real imperative to change our consumption habits because of the sustainability um, imperative the need to live more sustainability because of climate change and also too even with double incomes a lot of people are really struggling because we're just used to spending so much money so there's whole about face now so now when I talk about frugal living I'm not talking about deprivation I'm not talking about going back to the dark ages where women didn't have financial control what I'm talking about is good stewardship of of money so that rather than frittering away money on things you don't really need you can grow it and you can focus on living a truly empowered life nice I like that term stewardship 
No, indeed. Yeah. And um, and what does it feel like to be ahead of the curve? I mean, you you said you've been frugal from a very early age, and now now it's hip. So, what does it feel like to have been ahead of the curve? And having put, you know, did you cop some negativity along the way of your different phases of your lives? Um, well, yeah. Thank you. For a long time, I didn't talk about it. Like I just. <laughs> Like I would turn up to work wearing op shop clothes and they were always fabulous because there's amazing things in op shops, but it was always a certain stigma about it. You didn't talk about it. Um, and in my book, I talk about the year when I dated Mr. Red Sports Car, who was a you know, high-flying exec, um, earning nearly four times as much as I, I did, not quite. And, you know, I didn't want to admit to him necessarily that the clothes I wore on dates were from op shops. So, you know, I kept that fairly, you know, low key and fairly hidden. It's not something you really want to kind of admit. But now I think there has been a real change. Like now that I'm out and proud, yes, I'm frugal, people really want to talk to me about their own frugal things they they are doing and they're really proud of it because a it shows they're saving money um b there's a form of creativity there like it's not just going and buying the latest fashion they've often you know made clothes or fixed clothes or you know found a bargain and there's that huge agency that comes from that creativity um and thirdly because of the sustainability aspect they want to show and demonstrate that they are being conscious in reducing their consumption so um far from that being a negative impact um you know including in the workplace people are really proud now to come and tell me oh you'd be so proud of me about the frugal thing i've done yes it's true and op shopping is cool yeah Yeah. it's cool now it is yeah I've always been into it myself as well, Serena. <laughs> so, and I've always received the best compliments for my op shop clothes, not the new clothes yeah, that I spent. Exactly. You know, yeah, quadruple if not more of the you know than what I bought at an op shop. So it's it's always been an interesting lesson. Now, I wanted to touch on something you've touched on on, on a number of occasions in this um, conversation, and that is your own and some sort of violent situations in your family. How do you think frugality those then in your life situations when you're trying to? Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, I think we need to have these honest uh, conversations about it because sadly it happens so much to women and men and often a lot of these stories are not shared and we often have this image of um, domestic violence survivors as being you know dumb or somehow deserving of it or um, I don't know of being um, uh, uneducated or from marginalized uh, areas and like that is true of everyone but it does happen to um, a broad spectrum in fact some research actually shows that um in a, a very large percentage of cases, it's the woman earning more than the man when there's a domestic violence situation. That was certainly what was the, what was happening in my first marriage. So mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, you have no um, agency. It's you're earning money, but you don't have control over your own money, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but a big fear holding many people back in leaving relationships is how they will actually manage the money because it is scary. Um, it's scary when you've got, you know, joint finances that are together and you have to unravel it. In our case, we were overgeared on our mortgages. So I had the worry about that as well. Um, Canberra has the highest childcare costs in Australia. So I had that to manage as well. The legal costs, which are not unsubstantial. Um, and you, when you can't 
yeah, I mean, you really can't negotiate with a bully. I mean, that's basically it. It's, it makes, you know, conventional mediation and negotiation quite difficult mm-hmm. um, because the power relations are quite different because it relies on, on the goodwill of both parties. And in this case, it's usually not there when one party's decided to leave because of these reasons. Mm-hmm. So it's not a cheap process. It's never a cheap process. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, because I knew I was good with the money, I could keep it together. I was able to make all those mortgage repayment obligations, not have a fire sale on the property as we went through it, um, and just continue continue to build. And I just had this, this great hope that when I got through the end of it, um, through the end of the tunnel, things would be a lot brighter and a lot better, and they have been. I'm now today actually um, celebrating four years since I started dating my now lovely husband. Mm-hmm. So very happily remarried and, um, you know, close enough to financial independence that I can make some, you know, radical changes and, and follow my my dreams basically. Oh, nice. Yeah, and happy anniversary yeah. to you and your new husband. Yeah, mm. that's fantastic. And, no, and thank you for sharing that very personal journey. Mm-hmm. And it's delightful to hear that you've landed at the other end and, you know, you have your book and your um podcast and also your course and yeah and you're closer to being one of those five people you know <laughs> in, in the near future so that's that's a great story nice. yes yeah um we're gonna end off now serena with what we call our speed uh, swiping round so similar to uh, dating we we've developed some questions to ask you that we'd like you to answer as quickly as possible so don't take a lot of time just just the first thing that comes to mind, we'd like you to uh, spit out what you have to say. So the first one is, um, what's one event or resource that really impacted on you and set you on your journey of the joyful frugalista? Oh, wow, there's so many. I don't, it's kind of difficult to know um, substantively, but I guess I was a member of uh, Simple Savers for years and um, that was a a great resource. I met many friends through that, including one of my very close friends, Trish. Is that a resource club, Simple Savers? It's an online website. They have a forum and um, a vault of lots of saving tips. Nice, thank you. Uh, Do you have a role model when it comes to dealing with money? Um, not really, to be honest. Um, probably once again, my friend Trish, because uh, her and her husband have been grey nomads and they also espouse very similar frugal values. And I just love how that's empowered them now to travel the world and do amazing things. Pre-COVID at least, they've yeah. just come back from a trip to Tasmania, so they can do some travel, but not a lot. Um, but certainly there's a lot of, you know, really big, famous billionaires out there, but are they my role models with money? Well, no, not necessarily. It's more about how I see people actually living their lives. Nice. Who would be your ideal podcast guest for you to discuss being a joyful frugalista? <laughs> oh, well, I've had so many. I'm, I'm just, um, you know, already incredibly blessed with um, the amount of podcast uh, guests um, I have had. There's a number of uh, big names uh, in the US, but I'm particularly interested in a lot of women in the US. Um, so, uh, Kirsty Shen, I think her name is, from Canada, who was, I think, one of the youngest uh, millionaires in Canada who achieved that from being frugal. I think she'd have to be a top guest that I'd like to have on. Well, any, any Canadian is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that as a Canadian, of course. Um, you've actually stated, you said you want to become a billionaire. So once you become yeah. you know, a billionaire, 
What are you going to do with the money? Um, spend it? No, not necessarily because I don't spend much money. Um, look, I think there's a lot of things that I would like to do, a lot of um, benevolent things. Um, you know, I'm already active with my Zonta Club, my Zonta Club of Canberra Breakfast, and um, a lot of other women's issues. And I know, I guess, firsthand of what it's like to go through DV. There's a lot of resources, particularly the Women's Legal Centre, that really need um, resources, um, you know, and, and a number of, of other sorts of things. I'm really fascinated, by the way, with these um, two new billionaires, the former wife of Jeff Bezos and the former, uh, soon-to-be former wife of um, Bill Gates. Um, just how amazing they are. They haven't gone on a sledging match. They've been very classy how they've run through this. And together they've jointly decided to foster and um, champion a number of projects to empower women. They are just huge role models. Now, I think they're fantastic. I agree. Indeed. Yeah. Now, how can people find out more about your book, book and the Joyful Fugger List and also your Joyful Business Club? Thank you so much. So I have a website, so joyfulfrugalista.com, also a Facebook page and a Facebook group. And my podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, is on all major platforms. And if you had to leave us as women in our 50s with one key message uh, about managing our cash and being savvy about money, what would it be, Serena? I'd actually say to value yourselves, believe in yourselves and know your worth worth nice yeah no thank you and thank you so much for sharing with us and the people listening to our podcast about your joyful frugal list of wisdom yes thanks very much serena it's been a real pleasure and um i've learned heaps yeah thank I, you so much kishwa and i want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded today the nanawal people and we pay our respects to their elders past and present We'd also like to thank my aunt, Akta Jahan, for the music. And also my son, Maxwell, for some uh, technical support uh, with the editing. Oh, 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 oh,